Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today we're going to talk about a lesson for those of us who have a serious desire to follow in the footsteps of Christ. Okay, let's go. For Moses, it was an absolute crisis. Undoubtedly, his heart was overwhelmed with the seriousness, the direness of the situation. God's presence had departed from their midst. For more than 80 years, God had prepared him to lead this massive host of Israelis, but nothing had prepared him for this. Many of you will remember the story of Moses climbing the mountain to commune with the Almighty while below the people under Aaron's timid or misguided leadership built an idol of gold and partied wildly before it. Of course, when Moses saw it for himself, he was disgusted, ashamed, and angry. He chastised the people. How could they do such a thing? God had delivered them from slavery, given them the wealth of the Egyptians, and was leading them to this new, prosperous land. But then the real catastrophe came. The Bible says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. This was the crisis. Moses and the people of Israel were in a place, a situation, much as we are today. David Guzik writes, This was a challenge to Moses and the nation as a whole. God told them that they could have the promised land, but he would not remain with them in a close, personal way. If they were satisfied with that arrangement, it would prove they only loved God's blessings and not God himself. If they challenged God, pleading with him for his presence, not only his blessings, it would show a genuine heart for God himself. This was the first step toward revival in Israel. And Lloyd-Jones adds, To be given every other blessing is of no value if God is not with you. What is the value of Canaan? What is the value of milk and honey? What is the value of having possessions if God was not with them? They saw that the realization of the presence of God, having this fellowship and company, was infinitely more important than everything else. Sitting in his tent, Moses knew what he had to do. He called for his helpers, including Joshua, and instructed them to pack up his tent. In all likelihood, it was unnerving for the people to watch. With all Israel looking on, he hiked away from their midst to a place way outside the camp, still visible, but quite far away. There he set up his tent This was not something that Moses organized or planned or strategized. He sought God radically 
and spontaneously, Exodus 33 records this event. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the Tabernacle of Meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the Tabernacle of Meeting, which was outside the camp. Lloyd-Jones again. When the Holy Spirit of God deals, or begins to deal, with any one of us, there will be this separation. It will not be paraded. It will not be the Pharisees, I'm holier than thou, attitude. No. Once a man begins to be burdened for the glory of God and the state of the church, he immediately feels the call to consecration. He goes out, as it were. It was there, outside the camp, that God met with and spoke to Moses face to face, that is, intimately, as a friend. The point was, and is, the camp, with all its blessings, blessings of Egypt which God had bestowed, were insufficient. The promise that God would guide them to the promised land was insufficient. Guaranteed angelic defense and miraculous obtaining of prosperity were insufficient. Stardom, celebrity among the chosen people, was insufficient. Guzik adds, For Moses, it wasn't enough to know that he and Israel would make it to the promised land. In his estimation, the promised land was nothing special without the special presence of the Lord. Many scriptures speak of doing certain things outside the camp. In the law of God, we find such verses as Exodus 19.17, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Exodus 29.14, But the flesh of the bull, and its skin, and its offal, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It's a sin offering. Along with about a dozen or so other instances where, if you think about it, The fundamental question is not necessarily about the actions associated with cleanness or purification or atonement, but rather, where is God's presence? Perhaps the most powerful example of this is from the writer of Hebrews who says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. And it adds, Therefore, let us go forth to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. That's in Hebrews 13. True salvation requires each of us to leave the camp of mere religion to follow our Savior. Then, in graciously obtaining it, his life, his spirit, indwells us. Hallelujah. And he has promised, in Hebrews 13, 5, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So you can be assured that once you are genuinely saved, his presence will abide with you. He will never leave He has also promised to the true believers in Matthew 18.20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, 
There am I in the midst of them. So, for the sincere individual or ardent small group of believers, the presence of God is more readily realized, and we, like Moses in the tabernacle of meeting, can speak directly with our Lord. But the larger congregation, the church at large, it has a dire problem, and one that, like Moses, each person must face and decide what to do. The camp, to those Hebrew believers whom the writer is addressing, of course, he meant apostate Judaism that had crucified their Messiah. But the term camp includes all those religious developments by whatever name called, which, though professing to be Christian, are really Judeo-pagan. You must choose between earthly religion and heavenly reality. You must know a heavenly Christ or not know Christ at all. Thanks, William Newell. And he adds also, For if there is anyone despised or reproached on earth, it is one openly holding a hope of heaven, yet having no connection with human religion. Of course, all this makes him different from the world, unless your only hope is not religion not being a church member, not so-called Christian activity, but the blood of Christ. Your hope is a damning delusion, whatever your priest, pastor, or spiritual advisor may tell you. Again, that's from William Newell. Is God outside our camp? Having obtained deliverance and great blessing, has the church today failed to appreciate his presence, or are we giving it lip service? Once purely motivated movements have lost their bearing. Pulpits, some of them, are used to sell rather than save. Some churches are handled like businesses. Some are even franchised, for goodness sakes. Some ministers are going through motions within the confines of the camp. Ministerial celebrity being the idol, if you would, of this age, has alienated many and corrupted many. As a consequence, enormous numbers of believers are looking for the Lord, so to speak, in home churches and other small groups. They are looking for His presence outside the camp, if you would. Of course, not all in this group are of a pure heart in this either. There is much haughtiness, self-righteousness, and some plain old self-centeredness in it. But many are truly, like Moses, wanting more than the blessings and promises. They want to know the Lord and His divine presence. They want to experience His glory. Lloyd-Jones writes, Have you ever read of Jonathan Edwards describing his experience of it in a forest while he was there kneeling in prayer for about an hour? And to give you a man who is much nearer to ourselves, D.L. Moody, a very strong man physically, a very sturdy man. And yet when God gave him a glimpse of his glory, he had to ask him to desist and to hold back his hand because it felt like it was killing him. He is not the only one who has felt that. In a sense, these people want to abide in the tabernacle like Joshua did. Even when Moses had left, 
They simply are not going to ride the bandwagon of popular Laodicean Christianity. They want the real deal, not the rote and dead. How about you? Is the Lord in your camp? Ask yourself, is he really, and how do you know? By the blessings and promises alone? With Moses, God guaranteed to get them to the promised land. He had not departed altogether, but for the man of God. That was still crisis time. So Moses went outside the camp to meet with God, and thus did each sincere worshiper. For many, perhaps a great many today, Jesus is outside our churchianity. In fact, it is a characteristic of the last day's church. In the book of Revelation, he says to this group, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Revelations 3.20 The idea of Jesus at the door applies to the sinner and to the saint just the same. Jesus wants to come to us and dine with us in the sense of having a deep, intimate relationship. Sadly, Jesus stands on the outside, knocking to get in. If the church at Philadelphia was the church of the open door, then the church at Laodicea is likely the church of the shut-out Jesus. Thanks, David Guzik. Can I challenge each of us to do as Moses? Why? Because as the writer of Hebrews concluded above, quote, Therefore let us go forth to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. It's clear in the Bible that the distinction of this continuing city that is, New Jerusalem, the heavenly city, is the abiding presence of God. Do you want that in your church? Like Jesus, like Moses, like Paul, like St. Francis, like Luther, Wesley, Smith, and every deeply dedicated disciple, you may have to go outside the camp. I don't know about you, but I'm packing up. Now, may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm, and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast, and may you realize more of his grace today.